Australian True Crime, the nation's leading independent true crime podcast, is hitting the road with our live show. We're coming to Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane this July and tickets will be available starting May 10th at 9.30am sharp. They sold out in two hours last time, so do not dilly-dally. We know the suburbs of Australia are teeming with some of the most intriguing and chilling true crime stories the world has ever heard. Don't miss the chance to dive deeper and get involved with a live Q&A. With over a million and a half downloads monthly, these tickets will sell out. So keep an eye on our social media pages and check the podcast bio for direct links to purchase yours as soon as they're released on Friday, May 10. I can't wait to see you there. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is a true crime podcast, as the title suggests. So please consider this your warning that it's not suitable for children. And it probably will contain content that may be triggering to some people. Also, it's an Australian true crime podcast. So Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners should be aware it may contain the voices of deceased people. The producers of this podcast recognise the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders past, present and those emerging. Our guest today on Australian True Crime is Aman Abrimzadeh. He's a successful businessman from Adelaide, a member of that city's council and a member of the Order of Australia. Aman's a father, a husband and a brother. 
and he's an ambassador for our watch. Aman is a high achiever by anyone's standards, except possibly those of his own father. As you'll come to learn, Aman grew up in a home ruled by fear, and I must warn you that this will likely be a triggering conversation for anyone with experience of family violence. Aman's storytelling is vivid, and as much as every family is different, he manages to capture so many ways in which his family's story is all too common. It's a stark warning to every one of us. This is a two-part special, and we begin this first part by talking about the background of Aman's family and dispelling a few misconceptions I had about their culture. As soon as we got out of the country, we, we made a kind of a slow transition because we uh, left Iran, we came over to Malaysia. We stayed in Kuala Lumpur for, uh, I think, about four or five days. Malaysia is an Islamic country, but they don't necessarily have those laws in place where women have to cover their hair. It's, it's optional for them. And so, uh, yeah, my mum coming out of uh, Iran thought, ah, well, this is relaxed. So I think she went, and I remember this, she went through a bit of a phase in Malaysia where she lifted her scarf off of her head and it was essentially resting on her shoulders. So it was really covering her, her shoulders and, and the back of her hair. And, uh, and that was for a few days. Uh, and then once we came over to Adelaide, the scarf completely came off. And I thought, oh, that's actually a nice way to transition out of it. <laughs> How did your dad cope with this change in culture and with, you, with his wife, you know, taking the scarf off within days? Because he wasn't, he wasn't religious, he didn't have any sort of, you know, comment or feedback on it. So I was just, I guess what I was trying to get at is, did your dad, because we're heading towards a place where your dad became violent, mm -hmm. did he become violent? Was it always a factor in your family or was it the, the cultural differences that freaked him out? How did this mm. come about? No, my dad was always violent, regardless of where we were. You know, my earliest childhood memories are uh, are violent ones. The way he thought the family worked was, I can probably best explain it if I refer to an organizational chart where you essentially have the CEO at the very top and then you have everyone else underneath them. Uh, that's how my dad ran the family home. Tell us about how that manifested, how that, that looked on a daily basis. And was he a disciplinarian with your mum as well? Mm, yeah, so um, everyone got disciplined at home. That's, uh, that, that's the way things went. And it could be anything. It could be a bad report card. If, if my mum talked back, if she stood up for herself, if she said anything, it would usually end up with my dad yelling at her or, uh, or depending on the argument, the tension would essentially build and that tension would only break when my dad would physically abuse uh, my mum. Yeah, it was only until my teenage years that I started to, uh, you know, as, uh, as my dad described it, I started to interfere when they would have fights. When I was maybe about 13 or 14, I started to, uh, to outgrow my dad, so I was taller than him. And that's when I started to sort of realize that what was happening at home isn't the normal thing. And so uh, I would essentially stand between my parents and I would uh, try and stop my dad from hitting my mum. Well, we got to a point where this violence was sort of happening on a, on a daily basis at home. There was always a, a fight or an argument happening in the, in the family home. And we got to a point where an argument broke out. And I, and I remember this. Uh, that, that night I was, uh, I was sleeping in my, uh, in my bedroom. And my bedroom back then 
and I, and I love my, my bedroom there because it was essentially a detached rumpus room from the house. So uh, I had my own space and out in the backyard. It was probably a good 10 or so meters away from the, the, the back of the house where the family room was. And I remember running to the sliding door and I, and I opened the door and my mum was trying to talk to me. But as she was talking to me, she was running back to the house. She was running back to the living room. And then by that time, uh, I thought, oh, obviously, an argument's broken out. They're fighting. So I essentially kicked into the protective sound mode. So I essentially ran into the family room and I saw my dad who sort of had my older sister by hair and he was, uh, he was slapping her around. So I walked into that, and and then once my dad saw my mum, he sort of uh, threw my sister to the side and started to walk over. So then I, I started to uh, stopping him, essentially pushing him away and talking to him and keeping my mum behind me, keeping an eye on my sister to make sure that she's okay. And uh, things got to a point where he essentially said, I've had enough, and he ran over to the kitchen, and I, I followed him into the kitchen, and he was going for the drawers where the knives were kept. So I stepped in between him and, uh, and the drawers. By then, my older sister had uh, gotten off the floor and she was in the kitchen. And it was essentially me and my older sister wrestling my dad away uh, from where the knives were kept. We got him out of, the, out of the kitchen and we essentially made sure he's in a corner in the, in the living room where he couldn't arm himself with anything. And when he saw that he was outnumbered and overpowered, he said, you can't watch me 24-7. When you least expect it, I'm going to lock you all in this house and I'm going to burn the house down. So just imagine the person that you look up to, the person who's a role model, the person that's supposed to love you, care for you, says something along those lines. The image that I had of my dad built up in, in my head shattered at that point because I said there's no way a father would say that. And that was, that was back then when I was 21 years old. If I remember correctly, the incident happened on a Saturday night. We as a family kind of had a bit of, a, bit of an approach and a bit of a policy that no one is to be left alone with my dad. Not me, not any of my sisters, not my mum. And we knew that my dad was going to go to work on Monday. So he did. And that's when we started to uh, sit down and essentially plan. And we, thought, we said, right, we've got options here. We can either stay here and continue this approach in terms of making sure that there are two people present at all times when my dad is around, or we can get the hell out of here. And that's what we decided to do. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. 
Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We got that to work. So we got four little bags ready. When I say little bags, it's the travel bag, the carry-on that you can take into, into the plane with you. Uh, because we knew that we we had to have enough room in the car for four bags, so it's not like we could you know pack big uh, big pieces of luggage. So there's four little bags. We chuck some clothes and you know personal belongings in there, and uh, and that was it. We chucked it all in the car and we said goodbye to the family home because we knew that once we leave the family home, there is no way we're coming back, and that was a very sad thing. <sighs> yeah. Once we left that family home, we went to the police station to report everything. We reported everything, and then from there, we uh, we sort of sat down. We thought, oh, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? Yeah, did you have family to go to or friends to go no, to? No, no. So we all, all the family is on my dad's side, and we knew that my dad's family uh, were going to be on his side, so we didn't approach anyone there. Um we had some family friends, uh, but because family friends were all mutual friends, we didn't really feel comfortable approaching them. All these challenges started to appear, these sorts of, sorts of things that we didn't really think through just because we didn't know that they were going to appear and we had no idea what to expect when we fled our family home. But once we left the police station, our family car became the family home. So homelessness was one thing. From there on, the, the, the challenges started to, to come out because we realized, oh, what are we going to do for money? We were financially dependent on my dad. I was at uni. My older sister was at uni. My younger sister was 11 years old. She was in primary school. My mom spoke broken English and she didn't have a job. So, uh, you know, in terms of finances, well, what do we do? You know, now that I look at it, we're overwhelmed. And for someone that had never uh, navigated the system, you just don't know where to start. So, uh, so yeah, chances are there, there would have been uh, assistance and there would have been services out there, but because of the lack of knowledge and also because of the lack of awareness as well. Back in 2009, we weren't talking about family and domestic violence. So, uh, um, yeah, because of a number of reasons, we fell through the gaps, but there was a, there was a safety net there which caught us, and that was the domestic violence service that we were, we were put in touch with. After days, though, after a couple of days. So did the four of you sleep in the car? Yes, yeah. Oh, my goodness. And you're adults. It's not like your mum and three little kids. It's three adults and one child sleeping in the car with your four bags. Well, I guess for, for us, one of the things, uh, you know, that we were very, very thankful for was we, we were put in a motel. Yes, I should think so. Yes, uh, and, and, and I remember I think we, we stayed in a motel for a, uh, for a couple of weeks. 
uh, until a safe house could be found and we were allocated to that, to, to that property. We were in that safe house for probably four months. That was the best four months uh, that we had as a family. It was the best thing because you didn't have any arguments and fights to worry about. Uh, you know, you didn't have to be walking on eggshells, watching over your shoulder, being mindful of who you're talking to and what you're saying. So we essentially got to a point where we got out of the, um, uh, the safe house. We went into a private rental. And again, that felt great because we were all of a sudden we were in a new place and we were, um, uh, you know, we felt safe and we knew that no one knew where we were living and uh, we carried on with life. When we were in the private rental, we could kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. And my mum was working. I was uh, finishing my university and I'll probably get a full-time job. My older sister was in the same position. We were going through family court um, and at that time we were probably maybe a year or two out from uh, having the property settlement matter finalized so we could get a, a small amount of money from the family home that we once lived in. You could say we were dreaming, you know, it was, um, things were very, very slowly uh, happening, things in our favor, which was, which was great. And I guess, you know, we sort of got to a point where um, we, we felt comfortable enough to, to do some normal things. Came a time in in March 2010 when my mum was uh, telling me that there is a uh, there's a New Year event happening, and her birthday happens to be on the 21st of March, which is um, the Persian New Year as well. And on this occasion, she said she's going to attend uh, the Persian New Year function. Uh, it was going to be a big deal. There's uh, like 300 guests in a big room, lots of people. But I guess you know, the other thing that we sort of thought about was that. If we go there, what's the safety net for us? So we've started to scenario plan a little bit. My older sister and one of her friends and my mum were going to this event. My younger sister at the time was sick. And so uh, I said, I'll stay home uh, with her. She's sick, so uh, I'll look after her while you guys go out. So we said, well, when you go there, maybe flag with a security guard. Uh, you know, there might be a family member present or there might be someone that might make you feel uncomfortable, make sure at the end of the night you ask the security guard to escort you, you know, to your car. So we essentially sort of uh, were scenario planning and essentially trying to uh, make sure that uh, we we're as safe as possible and uh, minimize any risk. Younger sister and I, we had dinner, uh, watched some TV, we both went to bed, uh, and I was, I was asleep. And I think it would have been like, uh, just after 11 o'clock, I'd get woken up to a phone call. And it's my sister's friend. And the words that are coming out of her mouth are essentially, come down quick, your dad has just stabbed your mum. In the next episode of Australian True Crime, our guest Arman Abrimzadeh tells us what happened after the night his father stabbed his mother in front of hundreds of people at the Adelaide Exhibition Centre during the Persian New Year celebrations. If you need support after listening to this podcast, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or contact 1800 RESPECT on 1800 737 732 or 1800respect.org.au. Indigenous Australians can contact 13 Yarn on 13 9276 or 13 yarn.org.au. Thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime. We'll be back next week. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, 
rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Australian True Crime, the nation's leading independent true crime podcast, is hitting the road with our live show. We're coming to Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane this July and tickets will be available starting May 10th at 9.30am sharp. They sold out in two hours last time, so do not dilly-dally. We know the suburbs of Australia are teeming with some of the most intriguing and chilling true crime stories the world has ever heard. Don't miss the chance to dive deeper and get involved with a live Q&A. With over a million and a half downloads monthly, these tickets will sell out. So keep an eye on our social media pages and check the podcast bio for direct links to purchase yours as soon as they're released on Friday, May 10. I can't wait to see you there.